All right, it's good to be with you this morning. Please turn with me to uh, the prophet Hosea. And we're going to be in Hosea uh, chapter 11 this morning. We'll pick up in our series in Philippians next week. But this morning I want to read for us and consider uh, Hosea chapter 11. And I'll read for us uh, the first 11 verses of, of the chapter. So please turn there with me. Look there with me now. Let's hear from God's word. From his prophet Hosea chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering uh, and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt. And like the doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes. Declares the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Almighty Lord, Yahweh God, we pray now as we have heard from your prophet Hosea, now these wonderful words, these words of firm and, and fierce rebuke, but also these words of tender, uh, undeserved, amazing, uh, gracious love. Spirit, as we have heard the word read, now would you uh, work through the word preached. Uh, may I decrease, may you increase in in our eyes and in the eyes of all here and in our hearts. Bless the preaching of your word now, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we just prayed earlier at the end of our pastoral prayer. Uh, we start that prayer always the same. Our Father, our Father in heaven. And God is Father, it's one of the most important, it's one of the most prominent themes in, in all of Scripture. And really, its importance cannot be uh, overstated. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to consider this passage this morning. Because we, we pray to our Father. We don't pray to any kind of aloof deity. We don't pray to some unknown God. But we pray to a loving Father, a Father who, who desires to hear from us. Who, who receives our petitions and our prayers with, with joy, with grace, and with mercy. But, but how can this be? 
Now that's the question we want to we want to consider. That the, the God of all creation, the maker of, of heavens and earth, that, that the, the God of all the universe, how can he, this this holy, perfect, righteous God, how can he be our Father? And maybe this is something that you struggle with. This is sometimes a common struggle with this idea of God as Father, and perhaps your relationship with your earthly father has made it difficult for you to relate to God as a father. And maybe you're, you're angry with God, or maybe you don't trust God, or, or perhaps you have a guilty conscience, and your conscience is telling you, even this morning, is saying, how could God love me as a father because of what I have done? There's really, there's no way that he could really love me in this way. Actually, I'm pretty sure that he would just as soon get rid of me as opposed to welcoming, welcoming me in with open arms. See, these are the questions and the doubts and the struggles that our passage here addresses. And this chapter of Hosea, it, it plays out like a story. There's a story in, in three parts. It's a story of the father's love for his son. So how can it be that, that we can be loved by our Father in heaven? How is it that we know what that love is? How can we rest in that love, have assurance that we are loved and forgiven and redeemed? The Spirit of God tells us how in this story. So before we jump into this chapter, we need to do just a little bit of background. We're jumping right into the, to the end of Hosea. Uh, maybe at some point down the road, we, we preached one sermon from Hosea. I think it might have been my first sermon or second sermon ever uh, when I was here. Uh, maybe sometime down the road, we'll, we'll go through the whole, whole book at one point. But right now we're jumping into this chapter. And this, this book, and this chapter as well, this book, maybe more than any other book in our Bibles, juxtaposes God's, God's judgment and God's mercy so beautifully together. We see God's verdict over his people, his, his verdict of judgment on them in chapter 4, verse 1. It's, like, it's a summary kind of statement. And it says that there was no faithfulness, no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. This is a summary statement of what Israel had become. God's son, Israel, what, what he had gotten up to. And now in our passage, God uses the prophet to tell the story of God's relationship with his son, Israel. God had raised Israel like a father raises his son. Uh, God taught Israel to walk. He nourished Israel so he would grow up big and strong. He loved Israel, and yet Israel did not reciprocate that love. And instead, when the son grew up, the father came to find that he had no faithfulness, that he had no steadfast love, and that he had no knowledge of God. He had lost that knowledge of God as father that was there in the beginning. So what is the father going to do with this son of his? That's what the story is all about. This is the story of the father's love for the son. And the story begins first. It begins in these first four verses. We see Yahweh, the father, he's reflecting back on the early life of his rebellious son, Israel. So we, we jump back in time. We, we have a flashback, a, a cutback back to when Israel uh, was young. And Yahweh, he's, he's reminiscing about the good old days, as it were. He, he loved Israel. He loved Israel with everything that he had. And he demonstrated that love for his son by bringing them out of Egypt. 
in, in our Bibles, that, that event is, is seen and described as a, as a, a birth story, as an origin story. This is how Israel came to be. They were brought out of Egypt, this people. They were no longer going to be slaves in Egypt, but they were going to be sons, sons and daughters of the living God. Yet this relationship, it did not last. And so in verse 2, tells us how the relationship between father and son began to strain. It strained almost immediately. The more the father called out to the son, uh, the more his son listened less and less. Can any parents get an amen from that? The more he called out, the less he listened. He not only ignored his father, but he did the exact opposite of his father's instruction. The father lovingly spoke to them. I am the Lord your God. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. I made you my people. And now, therefore, here is what I require of you. Not for your punishment, but for your good. A law that reflects who I am. And yet we see the son completely rejected those commands. The we read that he sought after the Baals, that he, he sought after other gods. He built idols and burnt, uh, burned offerings to other gods, other deities. And so uh, his son, he, he ran away and Yahweh laments, how do you not know? How do you not remember? Uh, verse 3, how do you not remember that it was I who taught you how to walk? I'm the one who raised you. You've already forgotten me. I held you in my arms. I nursed you back to health when you were sick. Verse 4, it continues this imagery of a, of a loving parent uh, caring for this, this uh, difficult child. This, this verse, verse 4, it has caused some commentators, some translators uh, difficulty. Uh, but I'll offer you what I think is the best understanding. The beginning of this verse, or in the ESV that I have, it says that Yahweh led his son with cords of kindness, with bands of love. That is to say, uh, as one commentator puts it, that's to say that this image depicts the tension of a parent raising a child, a parent who leads by example and whose restrictions represent the limits of one who is wiser than the child. These are the holy limits, the holy restrictions that God placed upon a child growing up in adolescence. So we understand that. The parents in this room understand that. That we must put restrictions on our children. That's one of the biggest dangers of this world. Is that we, we're told that the parents ought to listen to what the children have to say. And what the children believe about themselves. Instead of us as parents, as adults, instructing them of what's true and what's, what's real about them, about the world around them. But we know as any good parent does, we put restrictions on our children. We restrict what they watch, we, what they do, uh, who they hang out with. We have bedtimes. We have, we have all these things. Why, why is that? Is it because we want what's worse for them? Of course not. We don't have their worst in mind. We have their best. And we certainly don't always get parenting right. And Lord willing, if I'm ever a parent, sometime soon I'll be coming to you to know how to do that well. But we know we don't always get it right. But though we do it imperfectly at times, how much more does our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, how does He restrict each and every one of us in love, chastising us, guiding us out of His love? See, that's what God is talking about here. And so we look going back to this, this difficult, uh, somewhat difficult verse, verse 4. 
It says, God says, I became to them as, as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to them and fed them. There's a slightly different translation than the ESV that I, I think I might like more. Uh, this is, uh, the NRSV translate, translates it this way and it, and it says that I was to them like those who lift an infant to their cheeks. I bent down to them and, and I fed them. So the language there is of a nursing child. The language there is of, of a little baby. Can't do anything on its own. And the, the father, the mother, they, they stoop down to, to feed that child. They, they clean up as it spits up all over itself. God is God's changing Israel's poopy diapers. He's cleaning the buggers out of his nose. He's, he's doing all these things. He's hugging and kissing his son. He's, he's coddling them. He's nursing him when he's sick. He's caring for him. He's kissing and he's squeezing his chubby cheeks. This is what God is doing for his people. Like Calvin would describe it. Uh, God, he, he condescends down to our level. He makes himself known to us. He uses language. He gives us his word. Uh, as Calvin says, he, he is like a parent who, who lisps, who uses baby talk, who stammers to talk with his child because he loves his child. He wants to make himself known to his child. You see, that is what the father has done. And so he's looking back, and, and these, are, these are wonderful memories. But unfortunately, we know that they did not last. The present does not resemble the past. And the story continues into the second part, and we, we read in verses 5 through 7, the second act of the story is that at this point now, the son's disobedience has reached the point where God has no other choice. But punishment is necessary. Now, right away in verse 5, we're, we're met with another question from the text. So bear with me on this. I think this is important. It will be helpful for us to consider this. So the ESV, uh, it, it says, begins verse 5, it says, They shall not return to the land of Egypt. But if you have a Bible like mine, there's a footnote on the word not. And if you go from that footnote down to the bottom, you'll see that it says or surely. <laughs> okay, so the options are, it either says, you shall not go to Egypt, or you shall surely go to Egypt. Now, you can't get more opposite than yes and no. <laughs> Alright, so, so which, which of these two is it? Will they surely be going back to Egypt, or will they not be going back to Egypt? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is both, both and. And that's the point being made here. We have this, this uh, holy ambiguity, as it were, that they are not returning to the geographical area of Egypt. They're not returning to that specific land. But they are, however, going to return to what their life was like when they were in Egypt. That is, Israel is going to be a slave, not a son, but a slave once again. And this time at the hands of the Assyrians. The Assyria shall be their king, Hosea says. It is as if they were returning to Egypt because the Lord, their father, is raising up Assyria to conquer them. And the simple reason that Hosea gives is because they have refused to return to me. 
so I will send them away that they might eventually, finally, one day, truly return. When the father brought his son Israel out of Egypt, he brought him to the foot of Mount Sinai. That's where he, he met with them there. And when he went into the land, into the land of Canaan afterward, he conquered it. Israel willingly agreed to the terms of the covenant. And so with his words, Israel was the obedient son. But with his actions, he has abandoned his father. Because he turned his back on the father. And so now the father, he's turning his back on him. Verse six, uh, verse six and seven describe what this judgment is going to look like. This exile at the hands of the Assyrians. Uh, the sword of Assyria will rage against the cities. The cities will be destroyed and, and devoured. And even when this son begins to return to his senses and starts calling out to his father, calling out to the Most High, he will not raise him up. Yahweh has fathered Israel. He's raised him when he was a child, but he will not raise him up again this time. My people, my, my, my son, Yahweh says, my, my son is bent on turning away from me. This is the description of, of human nature. That we are bent. That we're twisted. That, that things quite aren't, aren't quite the, the way they should be. Our natural inclination is to, to turn from God and not to turn toward God. It's in his very nature. And as much as the father has tried to, to straighten this kid out over the years, it has not worked. He always goes back to his old habits. And so there's nothing left for him to do. The father must act he, uh, because he, he cannot not act. The, the, the perfectly righteous and holy God, he, he can't suffer to, to allow any kind of sin, any kind of iniquity, any kind of unholiness, unrighteousness within his presence. Or else he would cease to be God because God is perfectly holy. See, this is what we don't understand in our churches today. We don't understand God's holiness. We don't understand his, his otherness, that we are creatures, but, but he is a creator. And so how God relates to the world is, is always going to be different than how we relate to the world. In his presence, there can be no sin. Because sin is eradicated in his presence. It, 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 it cannot coexist in God. But he is light and in him there is no shadow. There is no unrighteousness. But that can be very convicting for us. It can be very uh, sobering for, uh, for us. And so, like I said at the beginning, maybe you're struggling with sin in this morning. And maybe, maybe you do feel the weight of it. And maybe you're wondering, maybe you're asking yourself, how can God love me? How can God be a father to such a wicked sinner as I am? Maybe you've felt like that, like I have in the past. Maybe you've, you've felt some kind of a disconnect where I know all the right answers. I can describe for you what justification means. I can describe for you what, what Christ's sacrifice on the cross accomplished on my behalf, but I, I don't feel it. And I, I, I might not think it's actually true for me. And so if that's how you're feeling, if you're feeling anything like that at all, then let these next words bring you comfort. You see, because the story never ends in judgment. 
That's the good news of the gospel. The story never ends in punishment. And God's story, the story of God, the Father's love for the Son, doesn't end in part two. There's a part three. This is the story of the Father's love for His Son. The Father watched as His Son grew up to abandon Him, leading to the Father punishing His Son for His rebellion. But then we get to this third act. We see that the Father could not leave His Son there. Verses 8-11, through we read of Yahweh's immense, unbelievable love that he has for his son. And verse 8 starts, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Israel, my son, how can I hand you over? The language in this passage, it changes so rapidly from judgment to mercy. It should, it should shock us a little bit. It should, should make us wonder, did I, did I skip over something? It is as if, listen to this, it is as if the father could not even finish his thought from the previous section. He had to get to the good news. He could bear it no longer. He had to get to the mercy, to his love, to his salvation. The father cannot treat his son this way. How could he give him up? Would he really let his, his son be no different than these two nations, Adma and Zeboim, these two nations that were destroyed with, with Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of destruction? Is Israel going to be no different than these nations? Cannot be. He cannot do it. The, the heart of the father recoils within him. There's sharp pangs in his heart. They shoot through him. He, he loves his son. He has compassion upon him. You see, this is how our Heavenly Father loves each and every one of us. This is how He cares for you as a beloved son and daughter. And perhaps, perhaps you're still doubting. Perhaps you're thinking, well, how can I be sure that I am a son? How can I know that God loves me as, as a beloved daughter? How is it that God feels this way for me? How can I, how can I call the God of, of heaven, the God of all creation, how can I call Him my Father? And here's how. It's only because the father called his son. Now we're talking about capital S, his son, out of Egypt. And you see, this son died on the cross for our sins, was raised to life. And now he brings us out of the Egypt of our own sin and misery, and he brings us into adoption as sons and daughters of God. How can you be sure of the Father's love for you that's explained here in this passage? How can you be sure of that? You look to Jesus. Because God demonstrated his love for us in this way. That while we were yet sinners, that while we were yet like Israel, that while we were yet disobedient and turning away from God, Christ Jesus, who is the eternal Son of the Father, while that was yet who we are, this is what He has done. And He died for us. In the person of Jesus, then, we we see the story of Hosea chapter 11 unfold. This is why Matthew will quote from this passage out of Egypt I've called my son that's why that's such an important prophecy that's why it's such an important connection in scripture as Matthew begins his gospel account because 
Jesus stands in our place. He was called out of Egypt like each and every one of us needs to be out of our sin and misery. Jesus, the true son, was brought out of Egypt just like Israel was brought out of Egypt. Only this time it was different. Only this time this son was perfectly obedient. This time this son resisted temptation in the wilderness. This time this son keeps all the commandments and all the statutes of the law. This is God's true son who delights in the law of his father, who meditates on it day and night. Psalm 1, it's all about Jesus. Scripture, it's all about Jesus. It's what he has done. Doing the will of his father in heaven, Jesus describes it as as enjoying a good meal. It's his nourishment. He loves to do the will of his father. This is the son whom the father loves. This is the son who was the promised son, the promised offspring of the woman. And that first declaration of the gospel all the way back in Genesis 3.15. This offspring who would crush the head of the serpent at the expense of his own life. This is the son of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This is the son, the eternal, uncreated, preexistent second person of the Trinity. This is the son whom the father loves. And yet because the father so loved the world, because the father so loved his people, that he sent his son. He sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in this son would not perish but have everlasting life as adopted sons and daughters of the living God. And so it was the will of the father. It was the will of the father before the foundation of the world to to choose unto himself, to predestine unto himself a people adopted sons and daughters. And because that was the will of the father, he gladly with with love and compassion. How can I give you up my people? I will not do it. And I will accomplish your redemption. I will send my very own son on your behalf. And it was this son who willingly, with love in his heart, with obedience to his father's desire, he humbled himself, taking on flesh, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2. We've seen that already. With joy, the son went to the cross, knowing it would cost him, because he wanted to accomplish that redemption. The redemption which the father desired to give to his people. And we see the Spirit as well at work, the third person of the Trinity, anointing the Son of God incarnate, anointing Him in His baptism, declaring unto Him, the Father from heaven, that you are my Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was standing in our baptism. Jesus was standing in our place in His baptism. When when God the Father declares to Jesus, you are my Son with whom I am well pleased, He's declaring that to us because we are in Christ. And in order that this son would be a great high priest for us, able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses, it pleased God the Father and the Spirit immediately, Mark's gospel says, immediately after his baptism. It says immediately Jesus was sent into the wilderness. You need to do and you need to accomplish everything that my people have failed to do all these years. And this time, this son would succeed 
where Israel has failed would succeed, where we continue to fail. He would withstand all the attacks of the devil, every temptation, so that his sacrifice truly would satisfy the divine judgment due our sins. And then by this spirit, after his death on the cross, he was raised from the dead and now seated at the right hand of the Father. And it was good for him to leave, Jesus says. It was good for him to go because he was sending his very spirit to each and every one of us. He would be the seal and our guarantee of this great promise of salvation, the guarantee of our inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And it is the gift of the spirit It's about this gift that the Apostle Paul writes. He says, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You sure they will not go back to Egypt? That's not the spirit that you received. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry. We cry this out through the power of the spirit living in us. Through whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see, this is the love that the Father has for his Son. The Father loves the Son. And if you are in the Son, if you are with Christ, if you are in Christ, if Christ belongs to you, if you belong to him, then all of his blessings... Not some, not just a few, not only a little until we get our act together, but all of his blessings are now yours in Christ. You are not a servant. You're a son and daughter. And if the father did not spare his very own son, will he not also give us all things? I absolutely love that verse. I need to remind myself of that every single day. Will he not also give us all things? Will he not add all things to it after he's already given the most difficult thing to give, the most costly thing to give? Will he not give us all things as well? That is the Father's love for you. All whom the Father has given to his Son, he will by no means cast out. And so if you are in Christ, you can know that you are loved of the Father. That does not mean that we're perfect. That does not mean that we'll never come under God's uh, displeasure and the need for discipline. It's actually quite the opposite, but we know in Scripture that God disciplines those whom He loves. And we receive His chastisement as a, as a mark that we truly belong to Him. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Verse 8 is said to us, We'll end right there with verse 8. How can I give you up, O church? How can I give you up? If you're doubting this, if you're struggling to believe this, then this verse is for you. This verse you can take with you. This verse you can write out on a piece of paper and you can put your name in there. I'm not always one for kind of corny things like that, but I did that myself because I needed to believe it. How can I give you up, Levi? Do you need to believe that? And seriously, that's your one piece of homework, your one point of application today, to take that verse, to make it about yourself because it is about you, because that is how God loves you. That is how the Father thinks about you this morning. He has demonstrated that love for you in Christ, His Son. 
So look to Christ. Cry out to the Father. And let's do that together now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we give you praise that you have blessed us in Christ, your beloved Son, with every spiritual blessing. By your Spirit dwelling in us, Lord, would you work in us the faith to believe that beautiful promise of Scripture. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. For those of us in this room struggling to believe that is true, would you do that work in their hearts this morning? Would you impress upon them this beautiful truth that your heart recoils within you and says, how could I give you up? I love you too much. Maybe we believe it this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done. It's in your name that we pray.